The thing about the Home and Auto Bundle from Progressive is that by now you've heard a lot of ads about the Home and Auto Bundle from Progressive. We don't even need the words the Home and Auto Bundle anymore to tell you that you could save big with the ring-tailed lemur from Progressive. Or that every hot peach cobbler comes with round-the-clock service and protection. And that's the thing about the goat with magic powers. You've heard a lot of ads about the sushi in Vancouver. See how much you could save with the Home and Auto Bundle. <clears throat> with the Shaman in the Jungle from Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Bundle discount not available in all states or situations. You're listening to a Hindustan Times production brought to you by HD Smartcast. Hi, this is part two of my conversation with Amandeep Sandhu, author of Punjab Journeys Through Fault Lines. And I also found the uh, the section on mental health, you know, mental illness. That was also uh, kind of disturbing. You know, do you want to talk about that? And especially because of your personal involvement um, in the story of that thing. So talk about that. Yeah, so that's, thank you for asking me that because many miss out on it. Mm. Uh, so when I landed in Punjab, it was actually a season of protest there. And then there was the... There was a big white fly incident. Cotton farms were devastated. And uh, um, I was following the protests. And then there was a Sarbat Khalsa called, which is a uniquely Sikh phenomena, which also mm. lakhs of people joined, but it fizzled out just the next mm. day. You know, uh, And I was quite perturbed by what all was going on there in Punjab. I, frankly, mm. it, it either seemed that I had seen everything that I needed to see or it seemed like mm. I was back to square one. I mean, I had understood nothing, you know. And mm. because of my own engagement with mental health issues, the first first book was on living under the shadow of schizophrenia. Um, second book was also actually quietly about adolescent depression. You know, um, doctors, psychiatrists, they know me. And I strangely feel at home Asylums, you know, asylums tend to give me a sense of peace. Uh, this is a maybe I I think of it as a tribal thing, you know. Like I know what it means to be heard, uh, to be mad, you know, and I don't judge it. And I time, I mean, all the time I've seen people who are um, what we call sick or deranged. They come to me mm. as a friend, you know, they consider me that. So I, when I started doing, now government does not apply, allow you any longer to go to prisons and asylums, but with private doctors in mm. their mental care centers, I, I started meeting people and I understood that Punjab is actually a ticking time bomb of mental health. I, I'm not, I hope I'm not wrong, um, though it is, uh, of uh, a, a very dramatic view, but but Punjab and Kashmir, I think, could be the leading states in mental health issues in the country. You know, and see the disquiet or bubbling, the restiveness that we earlier talked about, that then starts eroding you from within. You know, so of course, mental health has genetic basis. Of course, uh, it's also about uh, emotional handling and all that. But the environment is also so claustrophobic that people don't know what to do. And then their frustration, their anger is turned inwards. Whether you look at drug addiction or you look at mental health, 
uh, Punjab is really suffering. And uh, I feel that it needs to be addressed very, very quickly. You know, like, see, look at look at what the lockdown did to us in terms of mental health. Now, imagine Punjab being like that for, for decades, right? I mean, like, 15 years of militancy, there would be night curfews, people couldn't go out, people couldn't do the things they wanted to do. There was a constant terror of the gun, both of the militants yeah. as well as the police. And from that, mm. it was a was an undeclared war going on. It was a low-intensity conflict zone, you know, and from that now it moved towards yes. back into the same problem with the agricultural economy, the same government not addressing your needs. Then there is this whole baggage of 50,000 people dying mm. during the militancy years. They have, those families have not been addressed. Mm. Another 25,000 or so people disappeared mm. across human rights violations Again, yes. not addressed. So it is just mm. piling up woes upon itself. And somewhere it is crumbling, you know. And uh, I felt very deeply for that, you know. And so I put it in the book as well. And, you know, I found this this paragraph where you talk about, uh, um, you know, about your mother. Very moving. Should I, do you want to read it out or should I read it out? Mm. You, you could read it out. Okay. In a few weeks, Mama's big heart collapsed. While giving her the final bath, I saw Mama's naked, broken chest, her left breast lumpy from heart ailment, her right breast withered from a deep, black, blood-dried hole, cancer. It is now when I look again at that moment in my mind's eye that I realized Mama had given me, had gifted me an insight into Punjab, which I did not then realize. In her chest that I had seen then but noticed now was the map of Punjab devastated by two missed revolutions, Green and Khalistan. Punjab too, like my big-hearted mama, praised and lauded by the nation for being food producers, does not see its dire ailments and continues to believe in myths about itself. These are white lies, like the ones I had told mama. The super-speciality of the doctors diagnosing mama's various illnesses, one focusing on the mind and another on the heart, had allowed cancer to creep into her eventually, driving her to death. I mean, I found this... Very powerful paragraph, and I don't know how you wrote it. As I said earlier, no, when I reached Punjab, everything was frozen, you know, and it reminded me again of uh, of 2007 when I took my mother there, and uh, this Ram Rahim thing had mm. flared up, and Punjab was again frozen, you know, and I was like, mm. what is this? I mean, every decade there is a big act of violence that is happening on these people. And uh, there is no respite from it, mm. you know. And uh, mm. uh, at, at, I wrote a, uh, when my mother died, actually, I wrote a longer piece, you know, which was subsequently published in an anthology. Mm. And uh, while writing mm. this book, I accidentally one day read that piece and I realized, actually, my mother had given me the message, you know, and I hadn't seen it. And mm. uh, once I saw it that mm. time, Something just clicks, no? Like, like this message clicked, and another yeah. thing that the photographer said to me that, you know, you are trying to look for big things in Punjab, but you will not find them unless you start counting the corpses. You know, uh, sometimes it's just the word. You know? It's like it it opens your mind, and then your whole mm-hmm. way of looking at Punjab changes. You know, then then you are you are very focused on what you actually have to see. 
Okay, so you have also been pretty critical of the S, uh, SPGC. So what has been the reaction to that? I don't know. See, we are translating the book into Punjabi. I'm right now editing the chapters. And my translator, Angat Ramji, he said, he said uh, uh, the English book has met a lot of appreciation. But uh, once hmm. the Punjabi version comes out, uh, I'm sure you will need some security, you know. Like, so, so we, yeah, we don't know what the SGPC will say or the Kali Dal will say. or. But I mean, I did, yes. I did not want to mince my words talking about the misdeeds uh, of all political hmm. parties and also this form of Sikh organization, which... Uh, and now has sort of trapped the Sikh community, you know. And if we look back at history, 100 years back, we had the Gurdwara movement to, uh, mm. to free the Gurdwaras from British-appointed Mahants, you know. And the Sikh community now needs to do a Sikh yes. part two to get rid of this SGPC, which has exactly become the same Mahants of the of yore, you know. And uh, I hope the Sikhs mm. do that and they can do it, you know. Because uh, it has become a deeply nepotistic and uh, uh, it doesn't pay attention to the community issues, actually. So what's the point of having this structure if it mm. is mandated? And a lot mm. of it goes back to Marcin mm. Badal, who co-opted... See, Sikhism mm. has this idea of miri-piri, you know, like, uh, which is... There is a mm. of uh, spiritual goal which you need to aspire to walk your life. And then there is a temporal reality also which you need to fight for justice. You know, so uh, mm. as I say in the introduction also, I mean, Miri Piri is at the core of this society. Uh, similarly, uh, mm. we had Ali Dal who was the political front for temporal needs of the community and we mm. had the SGPC for spiritual needs of the of the community, you know, to help create the Gurdwaras, help mm. protect the religion and stuff like that. But uh, in 1999, mm. Ash Singh Badal collapsed the two and took the power in his own hands, you know. So Akali Dal started governing mm. the SGPC. And since then, mm. they have not catered to the community's needs and uh, it needs to be changed. It needs to be organized. And I hope the Sikh community can fight this one just battle to, <laughs> to vacate the SGPC from its position, you know, and, and to create a new uh, organization. Um, otherwise, we are headed, it's a very young community, it's a very young religion, uh, but we are unfortunately headed mm. towards splinter groups and uh, breaking down, which is not a good thing for such a minuscule mm. population and so few people, because the ethos of the religion is very beautiful, you know, uh, and uh, that should be preserved in some ways. As I say, even in the book, I mean, the, the, the spectrum of the Sikh thought, you know, whether it is Guru mm. Nanak Dev to Guru Gobind Singh, you know, um, the whole spectrum of thought there. Or if you look at the Guru Granth Sahib, you know, which is actually a collection of poetry by various poets mm-hmm. of that period of the Bhakti mm-hmm. movement, you know, like, so um, mm-hmm. uh, it is a beautiful bouquet of, of great, vast knowledge and understanding. And you can't really mm-hmm. 
tie it just down to one external manifestation of the body, which is long hair, you know. Mm. I mean, how are you equating the two? And that's what the SGPC is doing to win Gurdwara elections. You know, it has no other interest in mm. it. You know, but the Guru Granth Sahib mm. itself does not talk about long hair at all. You know, and mm. so where has this long hair thing come in from? I mean, of course, Guru Gobind Singh, when he inaugurated the Khalsa, when he created a actual fighting army of the people, it was a need of the time. Mm. The five mm. days of Sikhism were also need of the time. But they mm. are not the whole and soul of Sikhism, right? I mean, Sikhism... In fact, there are, um, I don't know, the figures are disputed, but there are a couple of crore people who believe in Guru Nanak and uh, they're called the Anthis, you know, and they don't really uh, much deal with other gurus, but Guru Nanak is something for them. Similarly, for the Sindhi community. Yes, Sindhis, yeah. All this is part of our heritage, our tradition, our culture, and we need to. I mean, okay, the one sect of Sikhism, if we call it that, you know, the if mm. you want to be, you know, Keshdhari and Amritdhari and very good, please be that. But if somebody does not want to grow long hair, you can't just excommunicate them from mm. religion, you know, like that is, I mean, how many mm. are we? 25 million people. And if you are going to extend 10 million mm. of them, then what is your religion left with? Yeah. So, hmm. the things that the Sikhs really need to sit down and deliberate and understand and and chalk a path which which sustains their religion, which makes it so much more relevant in these times, you know, than hold on hmm. to some artifact of like long hair and keep drumming about it, you know. Hmm. It's a crisis in the religion because Urbani hmm. the, the works of all the poets, and they were not even from Punjab, I mean, Namdev is there, Ravidas mm. is there, you know, they are poets from the whole of Central and North India. Such a beautiful offering we mm. have. And if we are going to do all this, yeah. you are Sikh and you are not Sikh and you are actually Patit, which is apostate, you know, like that, mm. doesn't feel good. Mm. Okay, and I also found this very interesting, this bit about RSS um, appro- appropriating uh, Sikhism. See, I mean, uh, if you look at the Sikh history for 350 years, um, they have been fighters, they have defended, they have, they have, um, they have been brave and valorous and all that, you know. And uh, mm-hmm. if you look at recent history, like Operation Blue Star or Mrs. Gandhi and all that, they realize that you can't really fight these people. They will outfight mm-hmm. you. They will be very good. And they don't forget also, they come back and like, Ahmed Shah Ali and others who did the big killings in Punjab. I mean, the Sikhs finally took their revenge from them, you know. So they are mm. people like that. Mm. So do not. So RSS very slyly understands this, and it uh, it is not tried to be confrontational with Sikhs. It has always encouraged. Mm. It has always sort of praised the Sikhs, uh, talked well about them, uh, but also. Mm seedlessly added their own little things to it. For example, uh, Sikhs were created as a sword arm of society, not sword mm. arm of Hinduism. But RSS mm. propagated their sword arm of, arm of Hinduism and they were created against the Muslims. 
while Gobind Singh's army itself and subsequently so many others, there has been a constant Muslim presence in the Sikh ethos. I mean, Mia Mir lays the foundation stone of Harmandar Sahib, of the Golden Temple. So Sikhs are never against Muslims. But the RSS propaganda Mm. is now moving towards that, you know, that Sikhs were created Mm. against the Muslims. This is how they slightly take over. And while they praise you on your face, oh, we will celebrate Guru Gobind Jayanti, we will celebrate Guru Nanak Jayanti. Just now the government has declared a mega panel to to celebrate Guru Nanak Dev's Jayanti, you know, like three, uh, this is his 550th birthday. Mm. But mm. at the same time, it keeps inserting these kind of elements into it and thus actually appropriating the Sikh point of view on what is going on or what their religion is about. Mm. You know, and mm. uh, there's a threat not of confrontation with them, but of appropriation with the RSS. And the Sikhs have to be very vigilant mm. about it. Look at the Babri Masjid decision that came, you know, in quoted six sources in it. I mean, these six sources, mm. whose permission have you quoted the Sikh sources in that judgment? You know, you haven't yes. asked the community about it. And these, these mm. are hagiographic accounts of what was the Guru's lives, you know, the Janam Sakhis are those, you know, so you can't mm-hmm. use them as absolute truthful writing of the period because by nature they are hagiographic. So this is how mm-hmm. our, when the Shilanyas happened, there was a token mm-hmm. Sikh presence there, you know, there were a few faces who were Sikhs or the RSS has created the other RSS, the Rashtriya Sikh Sangat you know, who are happily wearing, you know, their their their, their dress code and uh, they're happy to go with RSS for it. But they don't realize that the actual damage is being done to the very identity of Sikhism and its definition of what people are. But RSS is playing this game. It has been playing this game for a while now. I mean, post-militancy, there is a huge rise I'll give you this example of Gharvapsi in Punjab. In Punjab, when Gharvapsi happens, they keep it open. You want to become a Hindu or you want to become a Sikh? Both are fine with us. Yes. Because mm. Sikhs, are our, Sikhs are our elder brothers. You know, that's the kind of narrative mm. they have created around it. So, mm. you have to be very, I told you, it's always a double bind. While internally they are being crumbled by the SGPC and the Kali Dal, externally they are under onslaught the RSS and such Hindutva forces. You know, so everything in Punjab is mind in that sense. There's one uh, specific part which I thought which struck me as like really true about how Punjab was the laboratory for various things like for the Green Revolution and for other things and though it failed it was kind of replicated in other parts of the country. Right. Yeah. The issues are huge and urgently need to be solved, not only because Punjab is disquiet, but also because in most cases, Punjab was a laboratory where social and economic experiments failed, but were still implemented across India. Punjab is where religion and language defined its boundaries twice in the last century, both resulting in unhappy tidings for the state and have still become the raison death for right-wing fascist parties to rise in India. Solving Punjab's human rights and economic issues is in the best interest of the Indian national state. So talk about this. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, we normally call 
the Green Revolution of the 60s to be the Green Revolution, but I actually differ in it because I feel uh, revolution happens when the modes of production change, you know, like um, in the, the Industrial Revolution, the reason you call it a revolution is because the mode of production changed. In that sense, the mode of production of uh, grains or uh, agriculture in Punjab changed not in the 1960s, but actually from 1870s onwards, when the British created the canal colonies and uh, rehabilitated mm. people there, uh, they mm. were connecting the rivers, they were making canals, they were bringing more and more land under cultivation to actually feed mm. the entire British Empire. At that time, the British Empire was very big, you know. Mm. So mm-hmm. that was changing the modes of production of Punjab. What happened in the 60s is mm. actually the Green Revolution on steroids because we use hybrid seeds, we use fertilizers, pesticides, uh, really, really the cropping pattern because paddy is not a crop of Punjab. You know, you brought it in to feed India. It reached the land of its water now. So, uh, the Green Revolution, whether you take it from the 60s or the previous one, both of them have actually done untold damage to Punjab. And we haven't learned that from Punjab. While the time I was writing this book, uh, the Prime Minister was going around making speeches in elections around the country and he announced in seven states that we will bring a green revolution here. We don't need a green revolution. We need something else. We need to understand from the mistakes of the green revolution and not put other countries, uh, states into a green revolution mode of production. Basically, a factory mode of production of crops, you know, uh, which creates a monoculture which... uh, uses, uh, overuses the land and water resources and overall spells misery for people. We need something different. But no, but the mm-hmm. term can be used, you know. And similarly, if you look at the antecedents of the BJP or the RSS, you go back this to, again, 1870s in Punjab, uh, and Punjab has been freshly acquired by the British, uh, from Maharaja Ranjit Singh. And there is a lot of other churning going on there, including the presence of Dhyanand Saraswati, who creates the Arya Samaj there. And Arya Samaj was also an experiment in uh, in social structure, you know. And the Arya Samaj then led to the creation of the Jansang, um, also the creation of uh, mm. the Hindu Mahatma, also the creation of the RSS, uh, and Jansang finally became BJP in 1980s, you know. So, Hindutva is also experimented there, and then the model is used elsewhere. Economy is experimented. As a border state, there are anyway, you know, surveillance mechanisms are tested in Punjab. And uh, so, a lot, a lot of things what are going on in India, Punjab is a laboratory. In fact, I sort of, uh, it's, bad to say it, but I sort of feel that uh, India is right now where Punjab was 25 years back, you know, and uh, mm. Punjab has gone further in its misery, and India is right now in a in a tricky spot with the kind of government we have and the kind of uh, laws and rules that are coming out. Uh, 
the human rights violations mm. that are happening. And uh, we did not pay attention to human rights mm. violations, not only in Punjab, but even in Assam, in Northeast, in Bastar, in Kashmir. And unless we address these human rights, unless we look at strengthening democracy and federalism, you know, we are, again, Punjab made one of the first calls along with DMK for a greater federal India, you know, in the 1970s. Um, the Rajamandar panel report of the DMK was a call for federalism. The Anandpur Sahib resolution was a call for mm. federalism. And we are still nowhere close to federalism. Mm. You know, so, mm. as I said, we have laboratory for many things and they are later implemented without learning um, the disasters that happen alongside the experiments. So I found this uh, fascinating book and everybody, please go out and get it. Punjab Journeys Through Fault Lines by Amandeep Sandhu. Um, it's definitely worth many reads, though it's rather a doorstopper of a book. <laughs> Thank you so yes, much. I must mention that my editor cut out 80,000 words from the draft. Otherwise, it would have been yes. <laughs> so it would have been an even bigger doorstopper, you know, like. Thank you so much. Thank you. And my regards to everybody who is listening. Thank you very much. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye. This was a Hindustan Times production brought to you by HD Smartcast. HD Smartcast.